Welcome to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is David Abramowitz, the Chief Technologist at Trend Micro Federal. David, thanks so much for taking the time. No worries. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion today. Over the last two years, agencies have come to the stark realization that traditional cyber protections just won't hold up against the more sophisticated attacks and a workforce that isn't, quote unquote, behind the agency perimeter anymore. The Biden administration's zero trust executive order and implementation strategy became the accelerator for agencies to change their approach to securing their applications, their data, and of course, their networks. Agencies need to consider how best to use tools like continuous monitoring and how to integrate threat intelligence into those protections. These capabilities are part of how agencies are moving toward a highly adaptive approach to cybersecurity. And of course, all these efforts are important to agencies as they digitally transform their services and processes and move more workloads to the cloud. So how can agencies bring those cyber tools and capabilities into their secure IT modernization efforts? Well, that's where once again, my guest comes in. I'm joined by David Abramowitz, the chief technologist at Trend Micro Federal. Over the last two plus years, David, we've seen a lot of change happening across the federal sector. We've seen this move, not just the, from the pandemic, but again, as I said, I think the pandemic really accelerated and provide this catalyst, if you will, to this digital transformation. So let's start there. What are you seeing? What, how are agencies really taking what they've learned over the last few years and really moving forward more quickly to digitally transform, improve services, and ones that are obviously more secure? Well, the pandemic for sure caused a lot of change uh, in the whole arena of digital transformation. We're seeing a lot of companies that learned that their existing steady state deployments of technology didn't offer the resilience of a massive transformation. If you think about the way people use those services, whether they be things like state unemployment, other benefits, or just the general population making use of people in an, a live office who are now suddenly online, and the infrastructure just uh, couldn't scale. So what we're seeing with that is a couple of things. One is a push to a more hybrid cloud approach, whether that's helping customers maintain uh, an appropriate security posture going from an old to a new medium, or whether it's embracing cloud applications to provide new services, transforming existing applications, or providing things like background support or supporting ongoing operations. We hear a lot about this push towards hybrid cloud, and, and I think what, what we hear is agencies are going to be here for quite a while. You talk about the security posture, you know, maintaining it, improving it, going from old to new. What were some of the things that your customers or, or those in the federal sector were asking you about maintaining that security posture? Because I think there's some concern of legacy technologies harder to secure potentially than some of the new cloud technology. Absolutely. So there were there were a few things. Number one, one of the concerns was, hey, but I'm running all of these applications on operating systems that are, are sunset already uh, by Microsoft or whomever. How am I going to take that to the cloud and still get my uh, vulnerability protection or be able to, since they're not going to put out necessarily patches for vulnerabilities that come out, how can I move my workloads to the cloud and still get that kind of protection? Um, that was that was number one. Number two, I've got a host of different operating systems, and I've got things set up in an on-premise data center. I've got pockets of cloud workloads. I've got virtual machines. How can I possibly bring this all together 
and not have to visit multiple consoles and keep my configuration and my policies consistent throughout. You bring up the single pane of glass and, and that that idea that, okay, where am I getting all this information so I can make decisions in near, near or in real time? Is that maybe the biggest, what you're seeing from a cyber, and we'll get more broad in a second, but from a cyber perspective that agencies really don't want to have to go to tool one and then tool two and then tool three, and then try to bring it all, understand they want everything to, to be integrated. Exactly. I, th I think there's a lot of that. And to some degree, we need to step back and just discuss for a minute, 20 years ago, threats were not as complicated uh, and you could solve everything with a piece of technology, right? So whole industries around vulnerabilities and the purchase and sale of those uh, moved from just being a nation state to uh, a nation state area, if you will, to commercial got into it. And then vendors uh, got in on the game as well. And motivations were all over the map. And with the cloud, the introduction of the cloud, you've basically matrixed the complexity of the attack surface. So beyond the point of just throwing technology at the problem, now it's a much larger problem for our customers. How do I manage my risk? Now, if you look at this from a, like a medical point of view, for instance, you get a cold, you get a sore throat, you take antibiotics, problem goes away. But with COVID, it's all about how you manage the risk. Very similar to what we're seeing now. All you can do is take actions to manage um, that risk. And that's where modern cybersecurity people are living right now. They want somewhere where they can aggregate and correlate all of the security information in one place a concentration of information to, to correlate and deploy and make risk-based decisions on what the next steps should be. And organizations are very limited uh, in, their, in their resources, so they appreciate that. And it's, it's a collaborative effort. So going forward, the new risk in the new risk-based world, a collaboration of tools and intelligence becomes more important. I'll give you one example. I was sitting in a meeting with a customer and a comment was made about a competing product that they owned. And the customer said, whoa, 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 let's, let's just stop right here. I don't really care if you don't get along with this other vendor. That is not my concern. That's for you to figure out. But if you can't figure out how to play together and how to bolster my security posture so that the investments I've made, I get more return on those because I've got the best of both of you then I probably don't want either of you. And that, that's a real eye-opening thing. Um, you, you know, in the, in the tech world, it's typically all about finding the singularly best piece of tech to solve a problem, right? The roundest peg for the roundest hole. But in the risk-based approach, it's all about how you optimize a collection of tools and intelligence. If you think, think of this as a diversified stock portfolio, for instance. I love that analogy because you're right. A lot of times engineers specifically are, are those folks who are looking for that roundest peg in that round hole, but we're talking risk here and there's no, there's no round peg ever in a risk hole because the risk is always changing. And, and I think that's a key piece to this conversation about how that risk is changing. The attack services are growing. As soon as folks working from home, that added to the attack surface. Is that why they need to take this, this other approach? We'll get to zero trust later, but, but that, that this, view of, of living in this hybrid world, this idea of how to manage risks has taken hold so in such a good way. Yeah. And that's part of the of the situation too, when you're assessing your risk is getting a hold of that attack surface because as you know, it's it's sprawled to no end. Uh, all kinds of different devices 
that are on the network and that are not located in the office location. Um, so there is a very big effort to get behind uh, discovering the attack surface, figuring out where the risk is and remediating that risk. But it's it's all about that first assessment that's that's really important. And, and even the approach is different, which is why uh, we split off our federal business from the commercial um, at Trend. If you think about commercial mostly addresses um, protection of intellectual property, uh, financial transactions, financial assets. Those are the things that commercial really focuses on. Public sector, on the other hand, is about safeguarding systems that provide critical services to save lives. You know, think about water, electricity, transportation, um, county health services that maintain stability and prosperity for the people. It's a very different approach. And you might think of uh, one system for a commercial entity that just saves the money and helps the CISO determine the risk. Yes, important. On the other hand, in the public sector, we're talking about potentially safeguarding lives. And that's a very different approach to how that threat intelligence is, is processed. Uh, big challenges are IT systems touching OT systems. And so we need to make sure we have the right hygiene and approach on the ITOT interface to limit that attack surface down to say, you know, one single protocol running on an OT system. As you bring up the commercial side versus the federal side, and, and you know, obviously you mentioned the, the the business unit that split off. Give me a sense of what are you seeing maybe even on the commercial side as comparably are they're they're probably going through the same challenges. You're getting a lot of the same questions on the commercial side as the feds are asking. But as you said, the, the missions are so different. The missions are very, very different. And that was really nailed home when we had a recent trip to Israel. And uh, other governments like Israel, they view they don't view the, the vendors in the U.S. as competing with each other for products. They view uh, the vendors as what is the best of your technology and approach and strategy that you can bring forward that I can combine with these other pieces to make a very solid whole and uh, provide me with the threat intelligence I need to prevent the next uh, suicide attack, suicide bomber attack. So it's very, very, very different uh, approach as far as that's concerned. On the commercial side, we are seeing a big, another big push for um, SaaS-based offerings, whereas uh, in the public sector and the federal side, a lot of our customers cannot or will not move to a SaaS model at this point. So it's critically important for us as we continue down this path to provide both uh, on-premise solutions and SaaS solutions for those that uh, either have to or must stay or won't go to the cloud and need to stay in on-premise and give them a path uh, to migrate when it's time and when it's feasible for them to go to a cloud-based or hosted service. I hear several times from, um, from you know, in the community about this move to SaaS and it's these little baby steps because they, they're worried about cost or they're worried about uh, the the data egress and ingress cost. So I think I think you're right that the, the, it's probably not as quickly as some of the, uh, the commercial side. What's the one maybe lesson you'd point to that you've heard from your customers or two lessons if you want, David, feel free, uh, that from, that kind of came over that, that folks have come up with over the last year or so you know, post pandemic and, 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 you know, that really drove this digital transformation security side. 
I think there's there are a few things um, that that we're hearing. And number one, it's um, almost not a fear so much as a discomfort with potentially losing control over uh, the infrastructure and the services and giving that over to to the cloud if they are capable of moving there. So it's it's a real balancing act between being comfortable with doing that uh, and uh, and giving up that control, but at the same point, there's lots of cost savings and consolidation, and you don't need to worry about hardware and power and cooling and all of those things. So there's a there's a balancing act, and customers are sort of weaving their way and navigating through that to get to a place where it makes the most sense for them. And and I think the more that we provide the uh, necessary security and make sure that there's a there's an understanding about what say what a cloud service is responsible for and gives you and what a security a cybersecurity vendor like Trend Micro is responsible for as long as we keep uh, talking about that shared responsibility model I think that they're going to make uh, bigger steps to to move to the cloud. Yes, I hear that all the time from federal CIOs and CISOs, this shared responsibility. Uh, the question is, how does that play out? How do they understand it? And, you know, part of that we'll talk about in the next segment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. Trend Micro Federal strives to be the cybersecurity mission partner of choice for the U.S. federal government. We protect and defend our digital civic infrastructure from all cyber threats, foreign and domestic. Trend Micro strives for a deep understanding of your cybersecurity practice, collaborating to solve higher-order problems. We understand that risk is the problem and focus on driving the practice, not just the technology. Trend Micro Federal, keeping the world safe from data exfiltration. Visit TrendMicro.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is David Abramowitz, the Chief Technologist at Trend Micro Federal. Now, David, before break, we're talking about the thing, how things have changed since uh, the last two, two and a half years, both from a digital transformation perspective, but also from a security perspective. We talked about measuring and managing risks, mitigating risks. And one of the ways that the Biden administration and, and OMB are pushing is through this concept that we've talked a lot about, about zero trust. So let's start there. What are you seeing around the adoption of zero trust? How are agencies starting to use these capabilities to really understand their risks and manage and, and, and mitigate them. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time for uh, organizations to adopt a zero trust architecture. And I think we're going to see uh, a lot of different steps and moves in different directions, depending on, on the agency. Of course, the, the critical thing we like to get across is zero trust is not a product. There is no zero trust solution, right? It is a strategy and architecture. And there is there are bits of technology that contribute to that. So the, the biggest thing that we see our customers doing now and the thing that we're trying to help them do is begin that approach by starting a security posture review, figuring out what is the attack surface, where is the risk, uh, what vulnerabilities exist in my environment that are sort of contributing negatively to my risk score, if you will. Um, where do my users and devices and applications stand? Because those are critical in informing a zero trust policy. So assessing those needs is a really good way to, to start the journey. When we talk about this idea of kind of this assessment 
can you maybe give us just a little bit of what, what does that mean? Because I think, if, uh, should, don't, don't I know as a CISO what my security posture looks like? You know, shouldn't I already know what's on my network, who's on my network? I mean, or, or is it, or, or what are some of the discussion points that maybe you are seeing or you're having about this, this posture review? I think we've gotten to the case where there is so much uh, sprawl, especially with the cloud and workloads that are running on the cloud, all kinds of different devices that are on the network, but maybe unmanaged or unprotected. Um, you've got the network feed, you've got the email feed. It's almost too much for one human to handle. So I think you're seeing a lot of attempts at automation and orchestration. But at, at the basis, I think for as far as strategies for protecting this new digital infrastructure and, and making a journey to zero trust, we see pretty much um, four things. Number one is your base, your lowest layer, the security tool chain, the, the protection uh, layer, if you will. Second is uh, a desire for, uh, we were talking a little bit about this before, a security abstraction layer. So a platform that can take feeds, whether they're from a vendor that has that platform or whether it's another vendor's product that's running in the environment, but needs to contribute to that platform. So somewhere where we can collect all of the thread information and the, and the metadata and make sense of it all because a, a human can't get uh, grips around that, right? So it, it's gotta be that security abstraction layer has gotta take feeds from its own environment third parties. Uh, no one vendor is going to provide a single uh, solution to everything, especially zero trust. So at Trend Micro, for instance, we have a number of other vendors that provide third-party integration into our platform because we can't do it all, but we depend on those different technologies to give a more complete story about the users, the devices, the applications, uh, the, the risk the attack surface. So that's the second piece is this security abstraction layer. And a CISO should be able to go there and see, okay, what is my risk score? How do I compare to other organizations? Uh, where are my weaknesses that I need to shore up? Where do I need to focus my resources on now? Because this is uh, playing with my head. Uh, the third thing is uh, zero, and probably maybe the most elusive, but important is a zero trust policy engine. So how do you start uh, creating those policies that basically uh, act on, on your behalf to make sure that this user at this particular time is healthy enough and not under attack and is using a device that is not compromised and doesn't have unpatched vulnerabilities on it to access, uh, to access an application that is free of any uh, malware or is not distributing any uh, malicious code and so building all of that around, as well as what is a uh, what is my device posture, figuring that out. What, what are the things, the must-haves, the table stakes for a device on my network? It has to be you know, running some sort of anti-malware protection. It has to have a firewall. It has to have this, 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 this. The base operating system has to be at least this level. So those are the table stakes to even uh, start to put together into in a rule for a policy for a zero trust policy to, to sort of figure out um, is that user allowed to access this internal or cloud-based application on the internet at this time through this device and that has to constantly be monitoring happening in real time 
because if that user's uh, risk score, let's say, rises above a certain threshold, there might be another rule in that zero trust policy engine that kicks in and says, okay, hang on, your, your risk level just went up. Uh, it exceeded this threshold. Therefore, we're going to log you off of the internal systems. You're not allowed to, gonna, to, to access external applications until we remediate you. And boom, I'm going to take you offline. I'm going to isolate you right now, do that remediation, uh, figure it out, and then we can get you back. Um, so that's the third piece. And the final piece, the fourth piece, which is critical to any uh, zero trust policy engine is identity and access management. And that is not something that uh, Trend Micro does natively. So again, we partner with or incorporate third-party applications for that um, Active Directory, Okta, uh, vendors like that, that uh, bring that information to us so that we can have that user device uh, information and use it for creating policies. So again, you know, zero trust is not a thing to buy. It is, it's a strategy and the architectures that we're creating uh, are going to have to prove themselves and report on a daily basis that they're performing as they should. Um, they're going to need to be resilient and robust over time. And uh, outside um, of that, in, in this risk-based world, we have to realize that uh, getting our hands around that risk posture is probably the most important thing right now. It is not a technology problem. It is a risk problem currently. And that's what our customers are most concerned with. I really appreciate you, the way you broke that down. It makes things easy to kind of understand about, okay, how to kind of create those assessments. Uh, from your perspective or from your experience, do a lot of the agencies already know kind of what that base layer is? Or they're even starting not from zero because no one ever starts at zero, but but they're not necessarily much above zero. Like they they really <laughs> right. have so starting many from tools. zero to get to zero trust. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I I think that to varying degrees we're starting to see the beginnings of getting their arms around um, the environment because there aren't a lot of policies in place right now that. Um, that go to that level that really police a user at a specific time and, and a, a device at a specific time. Usually or typically what happens now is if I were to log in to a system, I would have access internally to all the applications and, and there's no reassessment, right? Nobody is, is necessarily thinking about that, but that's a critical piece. Every time I jump to a new application or every time I try to access a different piece of data, I need to be re-authenticated. And, and so things like that are starting to uh, get into the thinking and, and strategizing of our customers. So I think you know they're, they're making small steps now and they've got typically so much security software and solutions inside the environment that are not necessarily talking to each other. And that makes things more difficult too. So I know there are some initiatives right now to do things like standardize on what a piece of threat intelligence log information looks like so it can start to be shared among different vendors' devices. And so that will continue. And again, I think it's just going to be a bit of a, a slow crawl. But as organizations get their arms around uh, their own risk and figure out what is it that I, that I want to do, then they're going to take the next step. Okay, how do I now start to construct um, a zero trust policy around this and continue that uh, down the line? 
you mentioned this is a lot of it about understanding risk and where the risk lies and how to man manage and mitigate risks. And I think the other side of the coin, if you will, is also the people side, the education and awareness side, because a lot of what Zero Trust is about is, is not trusting anyone. So if I do click on that link by mistake or on purpose, because I didn't know better, it's not going to infect the entire network or the entire agency. What are you seeing around that effort too? Are agencies also doubling down on that awareness education piece? There is a, a big push for that. Um, and I've done a, a, a number of seminars to that effect or exercises with different customers and, organiz and organizations to further that education. I mean, look, we, we don't, when our kid turns 16, we don't hand them keys to a car and say, okay, you're 16, you can drive now, go ahead, right? They have to take lessons. They have to take a driving test, written test. They have to study and understand all of the different things that happen in the in the uh, traffic world, but we we don't seem to do that as well for internet access. Uh, I think you will agree that we see all around us kids that are very very young and aren't even talking yet. The the pacifier for them is an iPad or a phone, right? And so technology is thrust upon uh, people, young and and older, right? And and the the education piece to that. Is sort of missing. We we we're not giving the lessons. We're not necessarily giving the guidance. And so when employees in an organization see something that's very well crafted and it looks like it's about something they are interested in, and there's a link, uh, sometimes you're focused on somewhere somewhere else, or you're just don't you just don't have the education. They'll they'll just go and click. So uh, what we've done at Trend Micro to help that because we want everyone to learn at an early age to be what we call, let's say, a good digital citizen, right? Because we're all digital citizens working, uh, interfacing with the federal government on all kinds of different systems. So starting that at a younger age and infusing that in and giving those lessons, I think, will work very well uh, later on. So we have an Internet Safety for Kids and Families program where we give that education to not only kids from probably fourth grade on up, but also to adults at, at PTA meetings, because as you know, as adults, we just love to do things like post where we went on vacation on Facebook and here's all the pictures and we're on this vacation now. And if I'm someone that wants to take something from your house, now I know you're not home, right? So it, it is all about getting that education out. And I think that's part of uh, one of the things I really love about Trend Micro is that giving back to the, to the community and that internet safety for kids and families is a way that we're going to start that education and keep it going all the way all the way through so that when the people are working in a company they understand much better the risks they think before they click they look for certain cues and they understand how to be a good digital citizen and i think that will really help the cause in many ways, it's just those little things. Oh, I should question that link before I click it versus, oh, my company right. just sent me a raise. Okay. You know, so but, just, uh, just the little things, right? Time. Just rolling your mouse over the, the address, the email address that's purportedly from a company or someone else and just seeing that it's not. These are things that people sometimes don't even uh, realize. Right. It's simple. Uh, but David, we're unfortunately, we're out of time for today, but I very much enjoyed our conversation. So let me thank my guest. David Abramowitz is the Chief Technologist at Trend Micro Federal. David, thank you so much for taking the time today. Jason, my pleasure. Thanks a bunch for having me on.
I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.